The evil horde has invaded Earth, and the world needs your help. Now you can join the process with Kenner's new line of Strike Force Moratory action figures. Marathon brings the fight and gets more powerful by the moment. I'm getting bigger and stronger every day. Let's smash these Hordian scum. Blackthorn melts down the enemy's weapons. It's meltdown time for the Horde. Radiant blinds the enemies with his radiation powers. Time to light things up around here. Adept analyzes the Horde's secret weapon. I have the Horde's secrets, and now we can defeat them. Snapdragon snaps back with some serious firepower. The Horde is no Batchmerai Plasma Blast. Viking saves the day with the Moratory Hypersonic Striker Jet. Just like my heroes, the Black Watch, we are victorious! We who are about to play the Strike Force Moratory Collection out now from Kenner. Vehicles and accessories sold separately. We who are about to die, salute you! Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, the Chris's are back for Moratory Mondays. This is uh, Season 3, Episode 2, or Episode 23, in which we will be discussing Strike Force Moratory Issue Number 23. How about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, we want to uh, thank everyone for uh, accepting us back with open arms uh, after last week's episode. Uh, it was a long time coming, a couple months off, and uh, feels like we picked up right where we left off. It's a... Uh, Moratory is just like uh, riding a bike, I guess. It's uh, once you do it once, you're 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 good to moratory forever, uh, or at least for a year, I guess. Uh, <laughs> depending depending on your mileage, and if you get pregnant sometime during that year, then you might get a few more days added on. But uh, we will uh, dive right into this uh, very good issue. Uh, not to put the cart before the horse here, but I mean we had a. We had a very shaky week, and then we had a sort of decent week, and this feels like we're back up to form, but uh, we'll hop right in, unless you have anything you'd like to add before we uh, kick to it. Chris, I would like to begin with an apology, hmm. a, full on, a full-on apology, and I know we started last I'm, week's episode with an apology. I this have apology, a feeling I know who this is going to. This is an apology <laughs> straightforward to Mr. <laughs> Mark Bagley, who I have trashed numerous times on this show. For his work on Ultimate Spider-Man, the much-beloved run on Ultimate Spider-Man, mm-hmm. by the way. You know, his Spider-Man goes down. He, he's not my favorite Spider-Man artist. In fact, he's not even in the top ten. Uh, and the reason why I always say that, his Spider-Man itself, like if you had if you had to ask me, you know, what do I think of his rendition of Spider-Man itself, I would say it's really strong. Mm-hmm. What, what if I uh, had to comment on his human characters? I would say it's some of the worst that's ever been on a comic book page. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of what I've seen in Mark Bagley in the 90s was a lot of a lot of people who look like they had intense plastic surgery, like Axl Rose style, where their <laughs> eyes are pinned to the back of their head and like really elastic looking features like Aunt May is terrifying when drawn by Mark Bagley. But... 
we do not see Mark Bagley and his uh, and his bad habits here. This is a nice, clean pencil. It's reminiscent of Brent Anderson, honestly. It and is. He takes uh, he brings back number one scenery, which was good because we had lost <laughs> that for about about two uh, two issues completely. So, Mr. Bagley, here's my complete and utter apology and uh, thank you. For pulling this <laughs> this dumpster fire back to uh, back to the mainstream because this is a beautifully drawn issue, and what a name it is! I mean, let's talk about the title: Castles of Fire, Rivers of Blood. I love the name. Holy cow! Episode yep. twenty-three. Boom! We're ready to rock, baby. For sure, for sure. And um, I'm trying to because uh, Mark Bagley, we we talked about him besides you know the the bashing. Uh, we did <laughs> talk about him. Um, uh, probably, oh boy, probably during like the first season's worth of episodes of the show where Marvel was, uh, they ran advertisements for the Marvel tryout book. Yeah. And uh, Bagley's the one who won that. So uh, this is, uh, I don't know if this issue of Strike Force Moratory is his very first uh, professional work. Um, if it's not the first, uh, it's definitely among the first. So this is very, very early in his long and storied career. And, uh, yeah, he starts off really, really strong. So the, the, uh, way, I, the way I judge an artist is hmm. like, like yes, some people can draw characters. There are people who know how to put characters on a page. No question about that. Mm-hmm. But then there's other folks who can do detailed scenery, but they can't place characters within that scenery and make it look natural. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially it looks like color forms. Yeah. Yes, especially in the digital era where you can literally just take a cityscape, photograph it, <laughs> you know, turn it turn it into comic book art with one click, and then you add your layers over the top. I'm onto your Photoshop games. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I'm, no I am. I am no graphic designer, but I can tell, brother, when a uh, when an artist has just ripped something completely off a photo. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not fooled. But oh, yeah. uh, mas- masterwork here, Mr. Bagley. Thank For you, sir. Sure. For sure. So this is Strike Force Moratory, issue number 23. It had a cover date of November 1988. As mentioned, the amazing title, Castles of Fire, Rivers of Blood, written by James D. Hudnall, pencils by Mr. Mark Bagley. Inks by Val Meyerick, or Meyerick, one of those. Let is Phil Felix, Colors Max Scheel, edits Carl Potts, The Cheese stands as Tom DeFalco, and cover price, $1.25 USD, $1.75 can, and 50p uck. Uh, this one had a release date, so hit the shelves on, according to Mike's Amazing World, on uh, July 5th, 1988. So, mm. so like what, uh, oh boy. 32, year, 32 years and two weeks ago from the time of this recording. So. <laughs> Heading this into SummerSlam 88, sir, if you're if That's you're following true. the wrestling calendar. Yes, beautiful times. true. Now, we do have a solicit for this issue that does not spoil it, so we will read it beforehand. We have here, Hard Case became a moratory in search for honor and glory. But when he finally finds them, he discovers that honor and glory are actually two very different things. So... This is going to be a hard case centric issue and episode. Uh, but before we get into the story itself here, what do we have to what do we have to say about the uh, the cover? Man, these covers like they this one's this one would sell me if I saw this on a rack today, I would purchase it. No problem. So it's a, it's a basically a, a white cover. So it's you know, it's fairly jarring. They got Strikeforce Moratory logo in like a like a muted yellow. 
but it's called the African Safari, and it's got a very, very interesting shot. So on the on the foreground in the jungle somewhere in Africa, obviously, uh, there's an elephant down. Obviously, it's dead. Standing around it are a bunch of uh, hunter um, hordians. So they have their guns. Obviously, they've they've shot this uh, this elephant, and flying towards them are the moratorium. You get to see Hard Case. He's flying in hard. You get to see one of our new moratorium recruits, which will be named a little bit later. And of course, Brava is just doing the diving board swan dive in yep. right on top of these guys. So this is uh, this is a really really strong cover. And out of the gate, I would I would buy this today without fail if I didn't know what this book was. So really really yeah. great, really yeah, nice. What do you think? Oh, I like it a lot. I, I do like the stark white of it. I think that uh, it makes the rest of it just so – it makes all the colors pop. And uh, it, it's just a uh, – I mean I, I've complained a lot about the covers of this book, even when Brent, Dan- Brent Anderson was doing them because they just seemed kind of weird. They feel like they were yeah. just panels that were chosen, and it's like, okay, we'll just put that there. You know, um, This one just feels really, really cool, um, yeah. and it does, uh, it does invite you into wa- wanting to know what's going on here because – I mean, I think we've seen some of these more uh, tribal uh, Hordians or these more like a uh, Veldian, I guess, because they just, you know, they're, they're just hunters. And what's interesting here, we have one of them. It looks like he's filming it. One yes, of the, exactly. one of the yeah. Hordian hunters that he's filming their kill, which is very, prosperity. Very yeah, yes. You know, you know um, what's funny? So so the Hordians are taking on human culture you know what i mean so That's they true. know that that these uh that these elephants are valuable obviously they've knocked them down they're hunting them like uh like prey and all that type of stuff so you know they're getting a good charge out of some of the the local human customs too so it's pretty neat to see how the hordians are adapting to their this new world that they're plundering it's very cool. very true and uh this one was drawn by uh, brett blevins so uh it's a uh, it's Not really, bad. really good stuff yeah yeah it's uh Although, i run high school with him but this this is really good as we'll discuss later, uh, one of our new recruits definitely looks a little, uh, little different on this cover. We'll say <laughs> he, he his, looks uh, svelte here, yeah. Yes, uh, not only does he look svelte, he looks like he's uh, straight from the pages of Miracle Man. <laughs> look at that suit. <laughs> he they, does they, look the, like the, <laughs> the, the, the coloring is off. He's in the blue, red, and gold, you know, look and all that type of stuff. His hair is miscolored. I love miscolorings. So ever since I saw like. Star Wars ads for toys as a kid. I didn't care if, you know, Han Solo's vest was blue and Princess Leia's gun was pink. It didn't matter. As long as the image looked cool. And, and this Luke was, had brown yeah. hair, yeah. <laughs> hey, do you, there's an actual uh, vintage Luke Skywalker figure that has brown hair. Yep, so you can I've get, you can get one, both. Yep. You do not. Lies. I think I do. I think I do. <laughs> no way. Do you know that there's two versions of Han Solo as well? I did not. You've got one which has what I call the light bulb head, which is the one that I've had the entire time. He's got mm-hmm. a like a, and these I'm talking about the early '70s ones now, the yeah, initial, the, the, the early bird, yeah. yeah, the Kenners, the the early bird Kenner launch. Uh, so I have one Han Solo, and of course he's got his hand bent for his gun, and the other hand is for some reason uh, straight out like he's hailing Hitler or something. I don't know what that's all about, <laughs> but. But there's two variants on the heads, and one is interesting. One has he has this light bulb type head where it's really, I mean, they're emphasizing his hair, obviously. But mm-hmm. then there's another one where someone clearly picked up that Han looks like a light bulb, so they streamlined his head a little bit. So two Luke's, two Hans, pretty cool. Funny, funny. I don't know which which Han I've got. I'll, I'll have to dig him out and see. 
<laughs> cool. <laughs> now, we hop into the story here, and uh, as the solicit may have tipped us off, this is going to be a hard case-centric little ditty. And so much of the narration that we're going to get during the moratory scenes will be aimed sort of in his direction, though not necessarily from his point of view. So he won't be narrating it, but a lot of it's going to be kind of aimed in his direction. Um, now, we open... And we watch as he scans this hard case. He scans over the African veldt uh, for hoardians. And he manages to find some sav- scavenger sack chins who just poached them <laughs> an elephant. Now, a hard case glides in and, uh, well, we're coming in hot. He decapitates one of them with like a hardened knife edge chop if you're a, if you're a Ric Flair fan. Or, or it might have been a lariat. I don't know. We don't see exactly how his hand is, but I'm assuming that it was a knife edge chop. Uh, Whatever it was, it was super effective, and uh, now we've got us a headless Hordian. Uh, Hardcase then kills the other two Hordesmen, uh, with one of them getting an especially brutal uh, hardened fist through the heart. Question uh, question time, question time. Where in the blue hell has this Hardcase been the whole time? Tell me. We have been chastising this character as, as nothing more than a joke, but now we're getting to see that this man is serious business let's be honest he's super effective you know this issue doesn't treat him as a one note joke and it's one of the first issues that actually does that you know mm-hmm. he's got i don't want to call it hardening power it's described early on as petrifying power so yeah. and man this time it comes in incredibly handy as we can see here i mean the, he's just slicing and dicing and it's a real shame that you know no one has done anything with old burke before now i don't know it's, yeah, it's a missed, op- missed opportunity yeah, like his whole uh, his whole character was that he was a like a West Point cadet, you know, and yes. he was going to follow orders even if he disagreed with them and he was uh, loyal to a fault. We didn't get to see any sort of depth or uh, layers to him until right now. Um, now, it's worth noting in this scene, we mentioned that Bagley is bringing back, you know, he, he's actually bringing some effort into this art or actually yes, has sir. the talent in order to do so. Um, we get to see a little bit of Hordian flair again after a long absence. If you remember, they used to adorn themselves with buttons and pins and, and yes. garbage and just all sorts of refuse. <laughs> uh, now, one of them here is wearing a smiley face button and a have a nice day button, which is kind of redundant, but we're happy to see it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be honest. It, it's funny that, the, you know, the design elements and details, like they literally went out the door with Brent and Peter during their initial run. So yep. just seeing Hordian flare back is awesome. And like distinct background details that, you know, that was one of the first things to go out the window when Anderson left. Like it, it looked like, Jesus, I don't know what to draw. Maybe we'll just like put a white background and nice sterile houses like we've seen in the last issue. <laughs> no folds, no, no yeah. wrinkles. It's uh, it's the Flintstones bed. Honestly, you know what? I, I'm pretty sure that after they left that they were working on this issue. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it was delays in printing or something, but it's very clear that they had to do two fill-in issues really fast. You know what I mean? Mm. So maybe they were just prepping Bagley for his inevitable takeover and he was busy or something. I don't know. But uh, for some reason or another, it's clear that the details were definitely another reason why folks were, you know, left to handle moratory and didn't read or truly get what made the book tick in the beginning. I mean, let's face yeah. it. Anderson took care of every masterstroke. I mean, every every place he did looked like a place that could exist. You know what I mean? It, it didn't look in. Yeah. Yes, it didn't look like it was done with a straight ruler. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or Photoshop like this day and age. You know what I mean? It it mm-hmm. literally looked like something that he drew. So it's awesome. And you know what? This book is not just a book about you know superheroes fighting aliens. You know, 
it's both our heroes and our villains were given distinct identities. And, you know, that's what made this book fresh and unique back in 87 and 88. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it was a thing. So For I don't know. Sure. For but sure. it, it's it's back on track here, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what, what do you think about just the, uh, I mean, all the stuff that Bagley is integrating here. Um, even we, we have like our opening page here. Like we have our opening splash with our with our wonderful title on it. And we're like at an outpost, but this outpost is like smoldering. It's like uh, it, it, it really feels like it's just part of this world instead of just being a spire or a cube. Uh, this is actually yeah. this actually has some depth to it. It looks like it's cobbled together technology um, rather than it, just a just a sterile lab. You got it exactly right. So what I would compare this to, if I'm looking at it, so we we get a we get a green image transposed with like a white building, and I know I made fun of white buildings, but this white building looks like it could absolutely exist. So mm-hmm. we have like a, just this beautiful lush forest or whatever around, and then this giant, like you said, almost like a piecemeal castle. Yeah. Like full of like it looks like a horde would live in it. You know what I mean? Like the architecture is is just done a certain way where it's stacked onto each other. It looks almost Krypton-ish, like done by John Byrne. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. really, really, really alien-looking place. But uh, man, he really pulls it off. And everything from buildings to characters are all back on spec here, man. Yep, yep. So we have uh we have our man Burke here. He just slaughtered a bunch of Hordians. Uh, he is soon joined by Silencer, who informs him that they've been recalled back to Moratory HQ. Mm. Now, this confuses Hardcase, uh, because at this point, I mean, they're just doing major damage to the Horde. So why would the Padilla call them back to base? Why would they be recalled back home? Now, if you listened to last week's episode, you might know a little bit about why uh, the Padilla might want might want to make the moratorium a little less effective. Uh, Be- oh. Because, because <laughs> as as Eric Bischoff once said, controversy creates cash, sir. He That's wrote a true. whole book on it. <laughs> so it is very, very true. <laughs> same with the Hordian War, brother. There's money to be made. Mm-hmm. And as mentioned, we shift scenes over to African Outpost number 3726. And this is where the Horde is currently holed up. Now, they're being read the Riot Act because uh, they've... Their entire army has been held off by four moratory. So an entire race (laughs) of invaders is being held back by just four people. Now, one of them (laughs) tries to make excuses, claiming that they were this close to killing them during their last skirmish before one of them exploded unexpectedly, which was, of course, our faux herald, Greg Mattingly. Now, the captain of this uh, brigade of Hordians, Wek Koo, does not hmm. want to hear any excuses because they are the Vashak, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> uh, I love the I love the name the Vashak. It sounds the, like something out of it's. You know what? It sounds like something out of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And I, I swear to God, there's I, I I can't picture the alien that it is, but I swear to God, there's something like the Vashak. Guarantee you that exists. <laughs> Someone who knows their Star Trek, please please Let fill in know. this blank for me because it's it's driving me crazy here. So. <laughs> we learned that the Moratory has destroyed three of the Hordian motherships, and uh, they have outfought the invaders at nearly every turn. And so, rather than taking over the planet, the Horde is shifting their main priority for now to killing the Moratory. So that is, they are public enemy or Hordian enemy number one. I mean, let's be honest, since the Gentle Inquirer took over the Horde, 
the Hordian strategies, I mean, it's been pretty good. Let's consider yeah. consider their recent attacks. I mean, despite being held off and defeated by, you know, just a small ragtag crew, they haven't been just killing. Like, they've had a plan. They've had a design that is it's making them like a more dangerous enemy, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have more like precise targeted attacks. You know, they're not just randomly hitting places. They like they have a plan. Yeah. I mean that that's 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 a huge difference from the uh, you know the aliens we saw that were that were basically rudderless uh, early mm-hmm. on in the book. They have you know mutated and experimented with their own people. They made their own super hordians, and you know it just far with far more success by the way than the humans did. I mean take a look at what uh, you know the Paidea tried to do with the Moratory monsters. I mean just a, an abomination. Yeah. And I mean think about this. We got one plot line. That we th- I think we should explore is it's you know when Jaylene passed away in one of our earlier issues she analyzed the Hordian ship so she basically downloaded like a whole cache of information you know with plans and technical readouts all from the Horde up until now those recordings have been you know they well we've been told that they're unreadable and useless to be quite yeah. honest with you but uh, why not have a team like or Tulima even discover what's actually on these recordings and tell a story with that. I mean, that's that seems like low-hanging fruit to me, to be quite honest. Seems too easy, right? Yeah. Yeah, but better yet, how about this? Have the Paidea Brass have these secrets and understand that, you know, not only do they have a cure or a major advantage and just play with that. I mean, this is a storyline waiting to happen. So if you're paying attention, and maybe they do a little bit later, but uh, to me, that's low-hanging fruit. You've got all the secrets of the Horde on these recorded crystals, and nobody seems to know what to do with it. So. Yep, and, and they haven't even been mentioned since, like, the issue after Jaylene passed, where we were just told in a throwaway, yeah, those were useless. So I'm, I'm guessing Gillis and Anderson had some plans for it. Hopefully, uh, Hudnall and, and Bagley and, and company will uh, maybe pick up on that as well, because it as we get deeper here, it's going to look a little bit like um, Mr. Hudnall started actually reading the earlier yes. issues. So yes, it does. <laughs> there will be Thank some you. Thank you, Mr. Hudnall. Thank you, yes. Mr. Hudnall. <laughs> now, we hop back to Moratory Campus, and Burke is sitting at the foot of the Black Watch Memorial statue, and he is lost in thoughts. Now, we talked about backgrounds. It's an autumn day, and we've got leaves falling everywhere. It's a very nice scene. I, I like yes. it a lot. I, it is. Anytime that it's fall in a comic book, I just love it. Uh, I think that's kind of why I uh, I fell in love with Generation X. Because yep. uh, it always felt like it was fall there when Chris Bocciolo was drawing it. <laughs> there was always no, leaves and no. stuff. Yes, man. It really adds to the scene. I mean, seriously. If you have just stationary trees, just think about it. It does nothing. But you get a little few leaves. You create atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference. Love it. Beautiful image oh, here. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they use that a lot in uh, in Mongo with the cherry blossoms. And it, it always adds to the scene. Um, so we've got our man Burke. He's sitting here on a bench. And again, he is joined by Silencer. And they have a like a... Sort of a precious talk about seasons and how uh, this is autumn in many ways, because uh, neither of them are likely to live to see the spring. We also learn here that Burke, I mean, you've seen Hard Case. Uh, we've shared pictures of, uh, of our team here. He's 20 years old. Oh, no. That, that mustache is doing him no favors. I, I thought he was like 40-ish. <laughs> well, it's the mustache. Let's be quite honest with you. Oh, I boy. mean... That mustache adds at least 15 years on you. I mean, take a look. Anyone you knew growing up, I mean, even when you went to high school, you get that one guy who, you know, had that burst of facial hair, and all of a sudden he's walking around, and he instantly looked like he was a senior. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, my God, that guy Randy just grew up all of a sudden. Look at him, for God's (laughs) sakes. 
He's he's walking around in like a white pair of like uh, banana smugglers here, and uh, with no shirt on, t- leaning over a Corvette for God's sakes with that porn stash. <laughs> I mean, it ins- it instantly aged you. It does, and and I'm thinking like back to how like in the uh, 70s and 80s, and even into the 90s, how much like like I thought. Like, when I hit a certain age, like, when I hit 20, I was just going to look old. I was going to look like a grown-up instead of just, like, a kid still. Like, just a bigger kid. Yeah, yeah. Like, you look at, I mean, things like, say, like the Miss America pageants from, like, the 80s. And you see these women on stage, and, you like, if you look at them now, you're thinking, like, oh, they're in their mid-40s. But they were, like, really, like, 21, 22 years old. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. how did how did that happen? It's just it so all- weird. It almost seems scandalous <laughs> when you when you really think about it. <laughs> it's so strange how like people just looked so much older back then. And it's... and you know what? It was and they rallied between the thin and the thick mustache. Okay, so there there was <laughs> there was a line in the eighties where the uh, and I used to call it for hockey fans. Uh, the Lanny McDonald. He, he was a famous hockey player here in Canada for the Calgary Flames, and he had this almost brush-like mustache where he would, mm-hmm. you know, it looked like he was coarse and made out of steel and could, like, scour your pans while you're cleaning <laughs> dishes or something. It was that thick. And then all of a sudden it went to this really sleazy thin pencil type, you know, pedophile mm-hmm. style mustache, you know <laughs> what I mean? That's the only way I can describe it. But, uh, you know, each one aged you, you know, if you had the, if you had the giant bristle mustache, I mean, you looked like you were about 35 instantly, regardless of sure. how old you were. And then, sure. you know, the, then, then the little sleazy one had you sitting at about 25 to 30, you know what I mean? Just enough to, uh, you know, <laughs> be diabolical. You know, it was, it was gross. I, I was not a mustache fan back in the day. Oh, no, it's like, uh, like, if you were uh, Tom Selleck, you could get away with it. If you were Rick Rude, you could oh, get away with it. But, uh, man, how many pairs of underwear fell to the floor for Mr. <laughs> Selleck and that stash? I'm sure. Holy cow. I'm thinking about, like, uh, you look at, like, the baseball card rookie cards. And there would be, there would be like, the one dude who was, like, 19, drafted out of high school or college, and he had a mustache. So, so he, it was like, it's like, wow, this is his rookie year. He started playing ball when he was 48 years old. It's just... <laughs> Crazy. Well, just think about this for a second. Mike what was Schmidt, yeah. <laughs> what was Tom Selleck's character's name? Magnum P.I. Ma- Magnum. <laughs> That's right. You know that he was laying pipe with that name. Guarantee <laughs> you. And and he looks bizarre. He's like the only guy who looks older without a mustache. Oh my God! So we're we're doing like our fourth or fifth rewatch of Friends, and you know Selleck yes. comes in there as uh, as Monica's boyfriend. As Richard, and yeah. Yes, and Richard shaves his mustache in one episode, and man, it actually ages the guy. <laughs> it literally, man, you're like, put that stash back on. That looks, it almost looks horrific. Like he, yeah, he, do- <laughs> yeah, it's glaringly missing. You have to watch it with like your finger crooked in front of your face just so you can like fill in his mustache on the screen. It's a uh... you, you had you had like women putting their underwear back on when he did that. <laughs> For sure. And a few of the guys. <laughs> yes, I'm sure of it. Crazy. Now, now we get back to our man here, Burke. We find out that in addition to him only being 20 years old, he is also get this a virgin. Oh. After all those gags about, like, his uh, his hardening powers. All this time standing there hard as a rock for 20 years and nothing. <laughs> nothing and to show not... for it. Nothing <laughs> to show for it. Um, now, we, we learn here that Akia, or Silencer, just so happens to be a virgin surgeon. So, uh, 
<laughs> it looks like it might be Burke's lucky day. She promises to give him an experience he will not regret. She uh, didn't say he won't forget it, but he won't regret it. Thank God. You know, one of the things missing from Moratory were, you know, the relationships, you know. Sure. It was really cool when we had Will and we had Ruth, you know, for a moment mm-hmm. before she died and, you know, he mentally switched off. You know, we had Jaylene was the only one who really had something real with Guy Harding. Yeah. So it was great to see Burke and uh, Akia here. I mean, it, it. I really like this relationship. It's progressive, number one. We had, you know, the black-white relationship here. Mm-hmm. And Silencer... Not being very silent on her desires here, she's yes. pretty well telling Burke that uh, we're taking, we're stealing that seed, brother. That's what's happening. That's what's going down. So poor Burke is just at the very least, you know, at the very least, finally going to get his use his powers for the obvious purpose that they were originally intended anyway. <laughs> yes, that joke is going to finally pay off. He's gonna, but, he's gonna, he's gonna take his, uh, his uh, machine into her vagine. You know what I'm saying? That's what's happening. <laughs> Now, we, we talk about, you know, the, the past relationships and stuff here, and they always seem to be where the worm turns, you know. Uh, very, very early in the run, we had uh, we had Harold and uh, and uh, Lorna. And as soon as it's we felt like there might be a connection there, something bad happened. Yeah. We had Robert and Jaylene uh, – Robert and Aileen, I'm sorry. And then uh, they had their sort of brother-sister relationship, but uh, it was pseudo-romantic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then something bad happened. We had uh, we had Will and uh, and uh, what's her face Pilar, and uh, something bad happened. We had uh, our diaper man and Ruth, and something bad happened. Yes, I I said I said Ruth, not you know, it was oh yeah, uh, yeah. Pilar, yeah, it was yes. it was yeah, Will yeah. and Pilar. Sorry, yes, absolutely. So it's a uh, I hope this isn't a sign of things to come, you know. Oh. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll get there well, when we get there. <laughs> well, enter the blocker. <laughs> yes, blue balls alert. We've got Dan Baker on the scene. Uh, now, our newly moratorized pal is wearing a garish-looking costume. Uh, it makes him look like like half Killer B and half walking UPC code. It looks like he's wearing like moratory branded pajamas. It's not. <laughs> it's not great at all. Um, now he interrupts the uh, friendly foreplay with an urgent call to arms from Commander Yuri in ten minutes. I think Burke will only need about ten seconds, but why <laughs> risk it? Uh, <laughs> elsewhere, poor silencer stuck to the wall somewhere. <laughs> She's done. Yeah. <laughs> we've got we've got Sheer and Brava. They're in a, like a little viewing room watching some footage of them in action, and they're critiquing their methods, their form, and whatnot. Now, they get interrupted, and uh, for all we know, this might be their form of foreplay. So it might be another Blue Balls moment, but uh, they are interrupted by Jason Edwards. Now, of course, he was our diapered friend from a couple issues back, and he's now wearing a brand spanking new Morator uniform with some Hordian writing on the chest. Uh, now this is this is classic Mark Bagley back to his form here. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this suit at all. It man, you know what? This looks like it was 90s before 90s were a thing. You had the high shoulder pads already yeah. happening here. You had the really stupid colors. I mean, what what color would you and it's, it's not red. It's what? What would you say? Was that maroony? Yeah, it's maroonish. And then yeah. you got the giant golden wrist gauntlets and the, you know, the WWE oh, they, championship around his waist. Yeah. Oh, they are huge. So, you know, you, he, he looks like quasi Quasar here for a second. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and that mm-hmm. color scheme does nothing for him either. But at least it's a little bit more than the human barcode himself there in the background. Oh, so. boy. 
And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like a blessing and a curse here because under Bagley's pencil, Dan and uh, Jason, they no longer look alike, but uh, they also no longer look like anything like they looked when we first met them. Oh, uh, no, absolutely. We've got uh, we've got Dan here who's just a hulking brute. And uh, Silencer is – I'm not Silencer. Scanner is uh, like very svelte where last, last issue we got them confused because they looked like twins. Yeah, I'm just wondering, do, do they have powers that, you know, jacks them up a bit or something? But anyway, possible. I mean, Bagley, like Anderson, clearly has made the distinction between both, you know, uh, both characters, which is great. And, you know, they couldn't be bothered earlier in the last two issues to separate no. Jason from Dan. I mean, literally, <laughs> now look at Jason here. I mean, this guy is mega jacked. He's fanny packed. But then you got poor old, uh, <laughs> you got uh, Dan, who's skinny. He's almost, you know what? It almost re- reminds me of Ryan Reynolds and Green Lantern, like the poses and the style. But this suit, if you were a fan of the, the Green Lantern movie, and I know that there's probably nobody out there except our boy, Green Lantern, who uh, listens to our show. <laughs> so thank <laughs> you for listening. But he might know what we're talking about. But there's a Green Lantern figure, and I've included it in the show notes here, just so you could see. You can't really see the detail, but there's all kinds of lines. Now, it's not painted in yellow, but it's almost a mirror image of what he has on there, almost the same form and style mm-hmm. that the scanner has, but it's, uh, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And nobody wants to talk about Ryan Reynolds in uh, green lantern anyway. So there you go. <laughs> I do remember, um, anytime they tried to like do a, like a pencil drawing of the movie version of green lantern, it felt like he had like every inch on his costume was a seam. So oh, yeah, yeah, your point, your point is well taken yeah. here. I think that's yeah. a very, a very apt, uh, comparison because, yeah, that that be that 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 costume ain't got no alibi. It, <laughs> well, well, think about this. They did the Green Lantern mask, and everything was CGI in that movie. I mean, yeah. it was one giant green screen mapping project. That's all this thing was. <laughs> yep. But but the horror show of the entire suit was the Green Lantern mask. I mean, it was literally drawn on after the fact with with Microsoft Paint. <laughs> <laughs> It was nasty. Chris, when I say that this was bad special effects, you cannot believe how bad the initial mask looks when uh, when old Ryan Reynolds gets it on him. It, it is hideous, and I'm sure any all any of our listeners who've seen the movie can 100% agree with me. That's great. Uh, now, we head into the the meeting here. Okay, so we got uh, Commander Yuri. He introduces the team to their new members. Dan Baker, he is now Scanner, and he has an advanced form of sight and hearing. Now, let's pause here for one second. Scanner, is he like a new form of like an analyzer? Maybe maybe one of the army of like the adepts that we were talking about mm. for a while that we were tasked with. But, you know, a little bit of food for thought here. It's true. It, there, there is There are similarities there for sure. Uh, now, our our formerly diapered friend, Jason Edwards, he's, he's, uh, he isn't named here quite yet. He does have a name, and we will find out what his code name is before the issue wraps up. Buggies. Just... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Pampas. Um, now, his power consists of converting matter into energy, which sounds really impressive on his face, but maybe a little bit nebulous. It's like, yep. well, what the hell does that even mean? OK. Um, now, Jason, he's a. Uh, He's taken like, uh, you know, Shear's gimmick here of just being like a voice of dissent and just just an all around jerk ass. Uh, he uh, he stands up and he's like, he's like, I just want everyone to know I was drafted. You know, I'm I'm not here by choice. And uh, I think that's a very interesting thing that they're that they're resorting to, like inscription here that, that this guy literally was drafted into this war. 
He didn't choose to be tested. He didn't choose to give up his life. They said they, he, you know, if we're being honest, he was, in fact, given a choice. Uh, his choice was either sign up as a moratorium or be shot in the head. Now, think um, about this for a second, right on this point. So, you know, the drafting portion. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil it right here now, but think about how the Hordians are treated a little bit later, who they run into. True. Mm-hmm. They're 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 drafts as well. We'll get into that a little bit later. Go ahead. For sure, for sure. Now, as he's pontificating, Yuri tells him basically, "Shut up, at your face." <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Yuri is being a giant throbbing member here. Let's be honest. He's a he's <laughs> yeah. just a mega dick. I, I he is so far away from you know the likable Beth Neon is not even funny. Yeah, I think I yeah I really have reason to suspect that he's in on this whole plan to keep you know the moratory docile and contained so you know the Pidea can cash some checks off the war you know what I mean he's he's definitely in on something here he's he's aware of what what he has to do and the reason for it I guarantee you yeah I I feel like he might be playing both sides here I think yes. he's uh he I think I I hope we're gonna we're gonna get some interesting uh, Yuri uh, stories coming. He's coming uh, he's he's cashing checks from Dixie Carter and Jeff Jarrett at once, just like Bruce Pritchard. Same thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're not telling Spike TV about it. Um, <laughs> now the video screen suddenly comes alive, and on it we see and meet Councilman Andre Lamont. Uh-huh. He is introduced as the new director of the Earth Defense Forces. And uh, we quickly find out that this fake-ass Lamont is the biggest of the big wigs, and he's answerable only to a group that he himself is a member of. So oh, basically, nobody. Uh, <laughs> now, he tells the team that they've been recalled and have now been reassigned as a, get this, defensive unit. So no longer heading into Horde territory and kicking ass. You know, they are no longer going to be proactive. All they do is sit and wait for the Horde to bring the fight to them. Uh, Money, money, money. Too much money at stake now, brother. I mean, the moratory right now, they're equaling viewers, ratings, merchandise. We got the moratory ice cream bars, for God's sakes. Too Mm -hmm. much profit going on here. So we can't afford to have this team end this war now. So guess what? They're going in defense. They're going to drag this out and stretch this out. It's going to be like one of those... uh, it's going to be like writing for the trade. That's what this is. You know, you got this is one the clone st- saga. Yeah, <laughs> this is the clone saga, which was drawn by who? In part, Mr. Mark Bagley. Mr. Mark Bagley. Well, well, well. Connective it's all out tissue now. all over. It's the all. Place. It's all out now. <laughs> now, uh, we got. I mean, we saw the other the other issue here uh, where. Uh, where Jaylene, where Jaylene, yes, Jaylene went to get uh, some vid discs or whatever, and yep. like the entire store was full of moratory merch. So uh, you got to figure those profits are going to the Padilla, and they don't want to see this end anytime soon. You damn right. Now Burke ain't digging this one bit, and he questions the logic behind such a move, which is a a bit of a shift in character for Burke, who was loyal to a fault up until just a little while ago, where. They would tell him to do things that he didn't agree with, but he said, that's my order, so I'm doing it. Um, Now, Lamont plays this all off as being in the best interest of the Moratori. After all, the Padilla have invested a lot in these heroes, and it's really, to him, not worth the risk to keep proactively dispatching them, because at any time, they can lose them. Uh, Also, this is going to show the Horde, in, in Lamont's words here, that taking an offensive position against 
the Earthlings in this war is futile <laughs> uh, because they will always be kicked back. You know, they, they, they can try whatever they want to do and they're always going to be beaten back. Uh, they're going to yeah. be met by our defense force here. Now, Lamont signs off, which leaves Commander Yuri in the unenviable position of having to answer questions from his now wildly annoyed team of superhumans. Um, <laughs> that's that's the problem being the uh, being the guy who's got to deliver the, the middle message, manager. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you, it's never the upper brass who has to answer for any of these controversial decisions. You know what I mean? Yep. Hey, let's cut everybody's COVID pay. And hey, you're the store manager. You're the guy saying it. Yep. Oh wait, that that sounds almost a little too close to home, Chris. Anyway, I digress. Go ahead. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Brava, our team leader, our field leader, she wastes no time getting into Yuri's face. Uh, he kind of takes pause and finds himself agreeing with much of her sentiment. We, like we said, he's kind of playing both sides here. Uh, but at the end of the day, he explains he's just a cog in the wheel. He does as he's told. He tells the team that in no uncertain terms that they are, from this point on, considered, quote, on call. Ouch. And if, and if anybody's ever worked on call, you know how unpleasant that could be. Um, now, he also reminds them that they all signed a contract upon joining up, which is new information to us. Uh, so if they have any questions regarding any sort of rights they might have waived in order to do so, eh, they might want to, you know, refer back to those documents. <laughs> <laughs> Always read the fine print, people, Always. especially. Can you imagine? Just think about this for a second. You're, you're signing up for the military and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you're signing up for the moratory process. You'll be dead in a year. Thanks. Sign here. Yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is an interesting this is one thing I'm really enjoying about the Hudnall run so far is that we are getting this sort of like a corporate espionage sort of stuff or a corporate uh, just a corporate feel to it where it's like absolutely you didn't read the fine print on your contract. And in fact, you had a contract. We didn't know when Beth Neon was signing people up that there was a literal physical contract they signed. It was just a. Yep. You're injected and you're going to die. So this I, is I agree. That's the strength of Hudnall's run. The only thing that Hudnall had a problem with was getting someone to properly render it on a page. So right yeah. now he's got an artist and boy, he's really banging this out. And it is it is a solid story. It is a good transition mm -hmm. from where where Anderson and Gillis were. So, yeah. you know, this this is a great approach. I love it. Continue yeah. on, sir. Very, very different in tone, but yeah, uh, but not in premise, really. It's it's really good stuff. Um, now, back to Yuri here. He reminds the uh, the team that at the end of the day, they're just soldiers. And as such, they are expendable. Uh, more or less, soldiers in a war like this are they're, – they're, they're glorified placeholders. They're holding Absolutely. a position temporarily before it's filled by the next one who is then going to hold that position temporarily until <laughs> the next one. It's very, very dire. Um, now, the meeting is adjourned. However, we're going to stick with Yuri for just a little bit. We follow him into Dr. Tulima's lab to chat him up. We still don't find out how Tulima got back into the uh, Padilla's good graces. Uh, but uh, it seems like this verbal altercation with his team has really gotten under Commander Yuri's skin. Tulima, he's busy examining that alien signaling device. Uh, uh. Yeah, that, that one that, that he and Guy Harding aimed toward the skies back in issue 20, we think. <laughs> Listen, save some introductions about, you know, from Dan and Jason. This issue should have been one that followed issue 20 because this is this is literally back on point. They're hitting yeah. all the different, you know, they're 
the plot point. So, you know, we get to see a little bit more. They fill in some gaps with a couple of the moratories. And and now we have this, you know, where they go back to, you know, discuss this machine that Talim has been doing. So, you know, too bad with the, that we had to have a couple fill-in issues because if Bagley yeah. took over and was prepared and, you know, and Hudnall was learned – with the entire <laughs> research part of the, you know, task of reading the entire series before he started writing, this could have been a different, uh, different series altogether. But uh, some good little mm-hmm. points there. And what do you think of that? Uh, he's got the machine there. What do you think is the purpose of that? I don't know, because I, I, I mean, we, the last we saw is that he that he did signal, right? But it was a beacon. He was, he was yeah, setting up beacon. a beacon, yeah, the signal and, for help. And here it's like. Maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. <laughs> maybe it yeah. happened out of sequence. Yep. Like maybe it's yet to happen. Maybe like, and you know, I, I really don't know. Like maybe next issue we'll see him and, and Guy Harding go out and actually do it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know what? I think maybe you got to bring it in and you got to, you know, pull off its readings. Maybe it's something that you got to keep placing Could and be. setting Could up. But, you know, the, him and Harding found a spot where, you know, was a good reach for the beacon and different things. Maybe he's just reading the uh, the feedback or whatever he's got back from the, uh, that's, the research. That's a very so. good point. That's a yep. very good point. That's That could very well be exactly what they're doing here. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they consider, uh, Yuri and uh, Tulima, they consider what sort of alien life forms might wind up answering this distress call. <laughs> and uh, we're going to find that out next time. Willie! Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I kill me! Um, Elf, put down the cat! <laughs> the Melmacians are coming, I'm telling they you. They are coming. Rhonda, Skip, and Elf, the whole gang. <laughs> no. We gotta, we gotta get our, uh, our Burger King uh, Kids Club uh, dolls out. <laughs> yes. From, get them in the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> now, uh, now, Yuri asks about their old friend, uh, or our old friend, Will DeGucci. Look at this, flashback. Yeah, blast from the past. Now, uh, we haven't heard anything about DeGucci for many moons at this point. Um, uh, Hudnall just read that issue, so that's why he's he here. just got around to it. He just got around. He's like, Where, where's this other pervert with a mustache? Where'd he go? <laughs> uh, now, Talima reveals that Will is still in his self-induced coma. And to this point, there has been no change in his condition. So he is still alive. We are back in the game. That's great. So we're we're back here and, you know, we're talking about all these dangling plot threads. And it's great because it works for the narrative. It looks like we will see Will at least one more time. I mean, there's no way that they're teasing him, you know, that we'll never see him again. We're at least going to see him die or something. But, you know, even if he's ready to expire due to being catatonic, you know, there's something going to happen here. So hopefully we get to see more Deguchi, at least a, you know, a final send off for him anyway. And the interesting piece is a piece of this is the, the whole process, you know, despite being dormant, think about it. it. Even will, when he's in this catatonic state, despite being dormant, the process is still in effect. Yeah. Will could literally die in his sleep and never know the, you know, the fear of facing the bubble bursting. You know what I mean? That that in that inevitable doom. I mean, if you're a moratorium, you know, you're dying in a year or less than a year. That's a lot to weigh out every morning when you wake up, man. So Will sure. doesn't doesn't have to worry about that if he's catatonic. You know what I mean? He could literally explode in his catatonic state and there'd be no, you know, no fear or nothing. So there's so much meat on this whole story bone here. You know, will Will come back? You know, will he die instantly or will he do? Will we find something interesting about the process that it doesn't, you know, 
uh, it doesn't impact when you're in a catatonic state. I mean, there's so much we could learn here and write. I mean, mm-hmm. if this story is not, not written, I guarantee I'll write the damn thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, considering Will's powers, uh, for, for all we know, he's passively, you know, absorbing or controlling emotions. We yeah. don't know. And that that's just so interesting that we have this guy who can induce things like fear and joy and relaxation and uh, dread. And he could be, since he's not in control of his mind right now, he could be passively emitting this sort of uh, this sort of vibe into the ether. Here, right? a lot of me. Look at you, look at write that down. <laughs> a lot well of done. meat on this bone. Now, well done. We've got uh, Yuri. He's uh, he, he's not happy with the answer, but he takes it because he doesn't have any choice. Uh, he leaves Talima to his work. <laughs> And uh, we find out now, once Yuri is off the scene, that our man Talima is still tinkering with a cure for the moratory process. And over the course of the past couple of issues, he's got some new data to play with as well. Now, it turns out our man, our diaper man, Jason Edwards, (laughs) he has some sort of Hordian virus because he did spend about a year as a hostage on one of their motherships. And we learn here that this virus might actually aid the moratory metabolism in regulating with its human hosts. So no more go boom. Man, so Hudnall is hitting on like he's got a couple really, really solid plot points that he's bringing to this series. I mean, I love this idea, the concept of a host. I mean, it's very cool. You know, what else can they manipulate to achieve superpowers? You know, will this could this affect apes? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Could we put like an ape army of moratories, other animals? You know, could we create species through DNA manipulation with the moratory process? You know, could we have we saw the moratory monsters? There's just endless stories that could be told with this, man. And I think Mm -hmm. Hudnall is just scratching the surface here for sure and it and it's almost like a wonder that we haven't seen like a like a room full of caged rats at, yes. you know somewhere in the lab where where like uh, like a hidden off the track lab where talima is testing something on on rats trying to see if there's a way to get around it you know how, uh, how did they miss that shot how did they miss it right <laughs> seems obvious no from here we rejoin Burke and, and Akaya here, and they bang. I'm laying pipe all night and day <laughs> to satisfy that woman. All right. Well done. Now, let's hop into Silencer's mind for a little bit here. I wonder if she thought, like, was Burke organically excited or if he was just using his moratory hardening talent? <laughs> he was standing on guard for 20 years ready for this moment, sir. <laughs> I think I think if he was using his power, it would make it a little bit less romantic. But uh, I bet she I bet it went through her mind. <laughs> I bet she didn't care otherwise when when it, when it happened either. <laughs> now, now speaking of perversion, uh, it turns out the Padilla have cameras installed in all the rooms. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah, and so we we meet up with a pair of security types, and they are watching this moratory porn. And they both seem to be really enjoying it, like like really, really enjoying it. Like, oh, give it to her, Burke. Look at him uh, go. Like we want to see both hands on the table, there, fellas. Uh, <laughs> this is this is weird. Um, also, not only are they watching it, they're recording it to enjoy again later. 
My God. One Night in Africa is available here on the show for only $19.99 on Blu-ray or 170 107 Pidea credits for the Recording Crystals version. <laughs> they're, they're hoard, they're, you know what I mean? Every oh. opportunity is an opportunity to make money. And, you know, this could be, it's a wonder Julie Chen doesn't come out in the middle of the room and go, okay, house guests, next we have, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, this is an opportunity to make money, sell videos. I, I don't know what they have in mind, but there's definitely some uh, some adult videos being sent across the black market here as a result of this. Oh, boy, man. And it, it, this this book did come with a Comics Code Authority uh, seal on it. Yep. Uh, and uh, we want to remind you that it opened with a decapitation. Yep. And uh, here we are with uh, with <laughs> we have a couple of security guards perhaps pleasuring themselves to a pair <laughs> of our heroes getting it on. Uh, one of them, you know, uh, losing his virginity. At least one of them. We don't know about Silencer's uh, uh, past. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is something else, isn't it? It is. Um, we hop outside for a bit, and Sheer catches up to Scanna, and they have themselves a kind of a contentious chat. Uh, Scanner really doesn't know what to make of it, but to, in fairness to Scanner, Sheer is a dick. Uh, Sheer basically says Scanner's powers are lame, and he'll be nothing but a liability in battle. Oh, hold the phone! Stop <laughs> calling the kettle black here, sir. I mean, you're talking about the human lawnmower telling someone their powers are useless. Oh, check your own ass, son. Punisher suit and all. I don't know. This is not the guy to be telling anyone about lame-ass powers. All he did in the past couple of issues was cut some flowers on a table. I mean, dude. Yeah, yeah. Re- remember back in the day, Sheer, when you were the uh, the leader, and, and 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 suddenly not out of nowhere. So there you go. <laughs> hmm. Now, after hearing, after getting run down by Sheer, uh, Scanner tells, uh, you know, informs Sheer how many Hordian ships are in the vicinity. He's uh, he's like, well, you know, in the time it took you to tell me this, I've noticed that we've got like 18 Hordian crafts right out of sight. I can tell because I have powers that can do that. So maybe he'll be of use yet. Um, now, he also informs Sheer that the uh, that the moratory klaxon is just about the sound and damned if it doesn't. So, yeah, Scanner, uh, Scanner just uh, just, uh, you know, sunned our man Sheer. Um, now, the Moratories spring to high alert, and they head for their jump ship. Uh, not like the Brent Anderson literal jump to the ship, but uh, <laughs> they do head there. And Yuri asks for the whereabouts of Hardcase and Silencer. <sighs> they run up with Burke yelling, we're coming! Which, <laughs> I mean, that had to be intentional, right? We're coming? Oh. <laughs> it's just one of those scenes where you know you know you subtly employ that you was banging you know what i mean <laughs> just to get out there you know you you know what i mean when you're proud of your conquest that night before and uh hey chris what were you doing last night well i spent a quiet evening at home with a few friends and cold 45 yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, you just got to get it out there you know what i mean did you notice the glow on my face yeah <laughs> um now once everyone's on board we learn that the latest Horde attack is uh, taking place in an issue that uh, Mr. Hudnall actually read. We're going to the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory in San Francisco. So, another chocolate factory. Listen, <laughs> look at this writer. He's actually reading the first few witches and catching up. And you can see it. Like, page for page, he's reading something different. You know that, oh, he read that in issue six. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. He's reflecting back on number 14. You know what I mean? This issue is full of callbacks and a real yep. return form. So this is cool. Very, no problem here. True. 
Now, this team of third and fifth geners, they, they don't realize that chocolate factories are kind of a, you know, a trope and, and the horde's favorite target. So they just I, figure they just figure that they're being wasted right now. They're like, oh, you're sending us to a chocolate factory, not realizing that we have a history with the horde and chocolate. You think at this point that, you know, chocolate factories around the world would have these brand new safety protocols, wouldn't you think? <laughs> I mean, I could just imagine like being a manager and sending in like accident reports. Oh, you know, we lost poor Harry due to a you know a Hordian bomb over there by the uh, uh, the, the peanut butter cups. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, take a look. I mean, seriously, I, I, I don't mean to re- you know reflect on current situation, but take a look at TV this day and age. I mean, Amazon is just. I mean, they had some bad press early on, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the current situation, we'll say, and uh, now they have all these safety propaganda videos where they tell people, you know, we wear masks and we're super yeah. safe and you know we have all these procedures you know just imagine think about this i mean imagine the psas that that, that are going around here in this universe about hoarding and attacks and what to do if a horde attacks or there's an abduction <laughs> <laughs> it would be hilarious if any company is affected by this invasion i mean it's it's hershery and guradelli for sure it's almost laughable it's hilarious when you consider absolutely yeah, it's like they should take chocolate creation underground or something just get you know get it <laughs> off the grid um you know while they're in transit, we uh, pop up to the Horde for a few panels, and, uh, well, looks like this might just be a trap. Imagine that. Um, now, upon landing in Frisco, which I hear San Franciscans hate hearing, um, Brava dispatches the team. And it's here that we find out that Jason's code name is... Revenge. Oh, yes. I mean, this feels very, very New Wars-ish, you know, something that Bagley mm-hmm. would do a little bit later on. But, you know, very standard protocol at the time. I mean, Marvel yeah. was introducing basic names and characters such as, think about, I mean, we introduced a guy called Rage, yep. you know, back in New Warriors. Don't you think, isn't it weird to think that nobody had copyrighted, like copyrighted, like Rage or Revenge, at least by 1988? Let's be real here. For sure. Now, here's another test for you. Try getting a unique name in 2020 for a character that you made and try to use like a rage or a revenge. It's not going to happen. Everything has been used. I mean, it's almost impossible to come up with a, you know, a really good name unless you're, you know, stealing something from modern times like screen time or safe space. I'm looking at you, punks. (laughs) Horrible names, by the way. No, no, Brava's like revelation here that Jason is called revenge is kind of underwhelming. Um, yes. It's just like out of nowhere, because I, I thought for a little while we weren't going to get a name for him. But uh, in a couple of pages, we're going to get like the perfect opportunity to learn what his name is. But we yeah. wasted it here anyway. Um, now, the team is met on the field of battle by sword wielding Hordians, which... Huh, seems almost counterproductive for the bad guys, but uh, we promise it'll make sense very, very soon. Now, the heroes make very short work with the ba- of the baddies here. I mean, they barely break a sweat. This is like child's play for them. Um, now, Jason, who has spent time as a Hordian hostage, if you remember, because they tell us that every couple of pages, uh, he gets a better look at one of the Hordians, and he recognizes its facial markings. So it has a mark on its face, which... It tells him that these aren't Hordian soldiers they're fighting. Uh, no, they are actually fighting lowly Hordian criminals. Now, here we go. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have we have Jason, who has been, you know, basically told at gunpoint that he's going to become a moratory. You know what I mean? He yeah, has he no choice. Yep. 
But guess who's using that exact same theory? The horde. So they're taking they're taking criminals and basically telling them, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out and commit these acts because you're criminals and scumbags. So you know what I mean? So basically they're throwing these guys in kamikaze situations. You know yep. what I mean? Using societal scum, we'll say. And you know what? That mm-hmm. never works out well. And boy, uh, we see it here. Yeah, so they're drafting on both sides now. It's 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 pretty cool. I like it a lot. Um, now, Scanner looks to the skies and, uh-oh, this is most definitely a horde trap, uh, because right here and now, the horde are going to kill the Moratori. They're going to do so using a beam from a hijacked microwave satellite that's hovering just out of sight. Now, Revenge and Scanner, they're, they're right by each other, and uh, they, you know, they understand what the, uh, what the implications of this are, and so... Revenge instructs Scanner to gather the team and get them back on the ship ASAP, and he will take care of the remaining remaining Hordian criminals. Um, And here comes the scene where we should have learned what Jason's codename is, because he's confronted by a criminal, one of the, uh, you know, sack-chinned criminals, who recognizes the Hordian word on Jason's chest, on his costume, (laughs) and it's... Duh, revenge. So that I think that would have been a cooler way to uh, present it or reveal it. Yeah, but, because it was sort of it was sort of left to you know just this fart in church type of reaction yeah. from Brava. You know what I mean? It didn't mean anything. It's almost like everything was built up to it, like it was. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm gonna reveal my name now, and it's <gasps> revenge, and everyone's like, oh, really? Is that it, dude, bro? Like. <laughs> You've been telling us about this for weeks, and that's what you came up with? <laughs> Is that the best you could do? <laughs> Not How about, vengeance? like, Superman? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, Scanner is gathering the... ...across Perkin. He goes to tell them to follow him, but... Well, they're either so in love or just so out to lunch, they ain't listening. <laughs> you see, uh, they saw some Hordian baddies running about outside and decide it's time for them to give chase... And they do so right into the path of that microwave beam. So uh, what a way to go. Ouch. I mean, you just knew that any moratory that is having any sense of a good day is just setting up to die early. You know what I mean? It's a real shame because I was just digging Burke and uh, Ayaka here. I mean, this is uh, I hated both characters, honestly, to start, as a matter of fact. Yeah, for sure. But you know what? This is this is the strength of the writing teams, man, because they developed these characters. They made you care about them. And, you know, these are two these are two underdog characters. And it's a real shame that we're losing them so soon, just as they were, you know, just starting to show relationship, just showing mm-hmm. personality. That's yeah, too bad. I, I, I like both in the end. So that's no, true. They yeah, because, I mean, these were the characters that we lamented being added to. It's like, oh, these guys suck. <laughs> When they yep. introduced the uh, the third geners, it's like, oh, these guys are awful. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, th- this feels like the first the first actual hit. I mean, we lost Fake Harold last time, but uh, he, he never, felt he never like, really yeah he never really yeah. ran he never won me over. He was that one off character where I don't care about. I care about Brava, you know. Yeah. I care about Sheer, and especially Burke and you know Akia here. I mean, uh, it's too bad. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it is too bad because it finally feels like they were going to be well-rounded or, or just rounded at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, they are uh, they are Dunsky. They are nothing but Cinder. Um, now, this microwave satellite is nullified soon after because Jason supercharges the Hordian ship 
and he sends it soared, soaring right towards that beamer. Um, uh, so uh, when the smoke clears, the moratorium, and when the smoke clears and this issue comes to a conclusion, the moratorium win the day, but as has been the uh, way over the past few issues, not without casualty. Yep, two die and two are ready to come right in. It's always the way. It's, it manage. It's it must be terrible every time you see new recruits coming. You know that somebody's about to die or be displaced. You know what I mean? It yeah. can't be. Uh, can't be the warm and fuzzies. So no, no, interesting. And, uh, and it does speak to um, the uh, the new powers that be here. Um, where I mean, we read the first six issues or the first. When did when did Lorna die? Issue four or issue? It was I think it was issue four. So yep. I mean we had we had four issues of build before our first uh, death, and uh, after that Harold died two issues later, and then I think we went we went like six or seven issues before death. Yeah. Uh, we had Robert, you know, left on the satellite or the mothership, but he came back. Here, I mean, we've had a death in 23. We've had we had two deaths in 23. We had a death in 22. We had a death in 21. Um, it just it feels like. Maybe we need to calibrate a little bit. Uh, we go from yep. issues and issues passing without a death to death just everywhere, which, I mean, it might be good for to maybe to, to you know, pop a rating. <laughs> to, yeah, you're not wrong. You're exactly but it's, right. It is. Uh, it does feel like we're being hit real quick. Um, we're the deck is being cleared. Uh, really, really quickly here. Uh, Ruth died at, at 21. Uh, Fake Harold died last issue, and now we we lose a uh, hard case and uh, silencer. Just feels strange. Um, not that I not that I have a problem with it. I, I think it's a. I think that's kind of the mission statement of this book. It's it a. It is, and you got a new creative team coming through here. So Hudnall yeah. is just getting his ground underneath them. You know, he's developing his new characters, Jason and Dan, and uh, you know Bagley's on, so he's going to want to draw his own characters uh, sure. as well. So I mean, you know, they're sort of clearing the plate for a new dinner tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what's so happening we, here. So we figure that the clock is ticking for uh, Sheer and Bravo. Uh, it's they're they're probably not long for this world. Uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of really cool things about this issue. Um, the art, of course, the art was was very solid, uh, above solid, very solid, really good. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. We have the the corporate intrigue of uh, the Padilla playing with our team here, and uh, and we have Yuri playing both sides. We've got Tulima playing both sides. He's acting loyal to the to the Padilla, but at the same time, he's still working on his own machinations. Um, we've got our two team, our two new teammates getting names here and uh, showing off their powers, which, I mean, that's classic comics 101, you know, uh, they were the ones who got the spotlight during the action scenes. It was Scanner and Revenge, uh, both showing their stuff and letting us know what they're capable of, which, like I said, comics 101, that's what you do. Um, yep, I agree. Really, really just, you know, I... It, we said earlier that it was a shame we had issues 21 and, and to an extent issue 22 uh, because yep. the art was so weak and it was just such a jarring difference from what came before. Uh, a lot of the reaction we've gotten online is that, when, especially when we put out issue uh, episode 21, so many people replied and said, yeah, that's when I stopped. Yeah. And fair point because it sucked. It was garbage. Um, but uh, <laughs> hot, it was it was intense hot garbage. It oh, was it was bad. train wreck. Yep. Oh man, that 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 could have that could have actually ended the show. That was that it was that bad. But uh, 
But it, it really is such a shame that it was just so damn bad because we do have a return to form here that I think a lot of people missed out on because, you know, the that, that issue 21 was like senses shocking. It was just so bad. I don't think I've read something worse than that in quite a while. I, I uh, remember as a kid uh, something, you know, I mean, I, I, I was pretty faithful to the titles that I liked. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there was there was a couple moments in my fandom where I, you know, I was reluctant to touch that book on the rack. And I'll give you a great example. I'm a mm-hmm. huge Hex fan from the 80s. You know what I mean? Oh, future okay. Jonah Hex thrown into, you know, the war ravaged world of, you know, the future. But when Keith Giffen took over the oh, reins from boy. Mark from Tex on that book, it was a train wreck. I'm telling you, I, I know it got canceled early at issue 18 or something. But, uh, man, Giffen had three issues of pure and utter trash. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, all, almost unforgivable. When you consider a book that had super Almost unreadable. Pencil. Oh, yeah, yeah, literally unreadable. I mean, he was developing his noir style and his, yeah. you know, his impressionist, uh, you know, artistic qualities. And, man, it, it did not translate well on that page. So, the same thing here. I can see why people jumped yeah, at, the, sure. at the very second. I mean, it's probably just an excuse because they didn't want to, you know, maybe money was getting tight at the uh, direct market, you know, mm-hmm. end of business. And, you know, something had to go. And those pink cat hordians were the first thing to cause them to, uh, to drop that. <laughs> You know that dollar something out of the uh, out of the pocket equation there. So <laughs> absolutely, but uh, we're we're hoping that through this show, um, maybe, and, and we can't speak for the quality of the rest of this because uh, it's been forever since I've read it, and I remember having leaving with a bad taste in my mouth. So I can't say <laughs> that this is going to be all sunshine and lollipops going forward. But uh, um, I, I hope that maybe this inspires people to pull up their uh, their Marvel Unlimited app and maybe give some of these uh, these post. Gillis and uh, Anderson issues uh, maybe a second chance. Give them a retrial. Um, there you go. Love it. Yeah, because this is this is as good as anything we've read. Well, maybe not as good as everything, but it's the closest we've come yeah, to being absolutely back on form here. Uh, maybe just skip twenty one, or maybe out of morbid curiosity, take a look at it and just realize that that to this point is the low point. That is the nadir of this uh, <laughs> of this run. <laughs> We well, haven't well, hit electric well, undertow yet, but oh, oh, well, well, this issue, I mean, I mean, they should be raving all about those, you know, issue twenty and twenty-one and twenty-two and all, you know, or issue twenty-one and twenty-two, I should say, in the letters column, don't they? I'm sure they have all kinds of letters here bursting at the seams with praise for those two oh, issues. Oh yeah, let's 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 turn the page here and here. letters page. There we go. No letters page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we do, of course. Have a bullpen bullet. We can get to that. You want to uh, hit them? We want to hit them with the quote of the month. Yes. Well, this one comes from Punisher, so I'm going to read who actually did it first instead of spoiling my uh, my Kitty Pride uh, thing and doing it in some <laughs> sort of uh, Wolverine style voice. But anyway, it says sometimes I lose sight of what or whom I'm fighting for. From Punisher, Punisher War Journal number one. There you yeah. go. I Punisher. bought that right off the rack that day question how how does the punisher lose sight of his only story ever <laughs> ever uh, oh. <laughs> yep i i live you talk about a one note character that's the punisher right there oh, the, the only bit of character that we had was when he was first introduced in you know amazing spider-man 129 i mean yep. you know we didn't know anything about it you know really we were just finding out who this assassin was and that was intriguing 
But mm-hmm. here it's just, you know, the mob killed my wife and my kids and I'm oh. going to kill you. And and he's like the only character who seems to have lost depth over the oh, over the big years. time. I mean, big they they, they experimented with him a lot during the 90s and stuff. And then when they realized that we were like we were suddenly like way too smart and way too cool for 90s comics, they brought in Garth Ennis. And it's like, oh, here's Frank versus the mob. Here's yeah, Frank versus the mob again. Hey, here's yeah. Frank versus the mob again. If anyone needs an old man story written, it should be this. You know, if anyone needs a dark night, you know, type of story, it's it's Frank Castle. You know sure. what I mean? I he needs to retire and we need to see that, you know, he's got a family back and he's got a life back and maybe pull a John Wick and force him back in. You know what I mean? You don't want to <laughs> kill off his wife and kids like they did with Bronson back in every Death Wish movie back in the day. But... <laughs> I killed my kids and my daughter and they raped my daughter and now I'm going to kill you. You know, you know, you don't want to do that every single issue, but give Frank a life back and get him, you know, have, have, have him, you know, fight for somebody else. You know what I mean? Or defend his daughter and, you know, prevent them from dying this time. I mean, so many stories to write, but you just can't keep going back to the well. How many mob members are left that he hasn't killed? Good Christ. Right. It's like, oh, well, that's oh, that's that one who who moved to South America and changed his name. OK, <laughs> so let's have let's have 12 issues of him tracking the mobster. To, to, uh. um, let's hop into the news. Now, we open with something pretty interesting. This is Marvel wishing Superman a happy 50th birthday. Ah, that's cool. Yeah, you know what? Marvel was always a little bit more progressive than DC when it came to mm-hmm. naming the distinguished competition. But yes. DC got a lot better in 20, you know. As time went on, it became DC's thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. When Stan Lee died, they took out a full page in each one of their issues for mm-hmm. Stan Lee. You know what I mean? To talk about, you know, his contribution to the to the business in Marvel. So, I mean, both have, have gone back and forth with their little, you know, monetary feud that they've had. And there's been brief moments where they work together to get stuff done. But uh, I like that. You know what? It's yeah. it's big. And I think this, this speaks to DeFalco. Do you think that, that a Jim Shooter would be talking about their distinguished competition? this openly and if, if shooter was at the reins right now, I don't know if he would or not. I'd like to think he would, but I couldn't say, yeah, yeah, I couldn't say, um, our next news item is a Marvel wedding in it. Danny Dap, I'm sorry, dapper Danny Fingeroth weds ravishing Ronnie Cooper. Yeah, Ronnie Cooper 11. Sounds, sounds like an Archie character or something. Good old does. Ronnie Cooper. <laughs> it does. Now another news item, our final news item, charismatic Chris Claremont has his, very boring novel, First Flight, <laughs> published. I have never read it, but it sounds I tragic. I tried. And? Yeah. Yeah, it's very boring. Uh, sounds like It sounds like an Alpha Flight novel. First Flight. I wish, says I mean, as, as boring as Alpha Flight can be, <laughs> this was worse. <laughs> now, uh, we actually have a good profile this month, or this week. Yes, um, we do. After a, a few weeks of just absolute garbage in the profile and just people being snarky jackasses, we actually have Gregory Wright, who takes this seriously and actually shares some information. Good for now, him. Yes. Now, he is the managing editor on something called Web of Fortune, which is a choose-your-own-adventure Spider-Man book. 
Bro, I was all about Choose Your Own Adventure as a kid. <laughs> Holy crap, how many of those things did I have? And then I had like the uh, the different ones like Time Machine and, you know, the mm-hmm. different spin-offs of Choose Your Own Adventure. I loved everything that you put in front of me. And, of course, you know, I don't know if I've ever finished one with a satisfactory ending. It was always, me being, you know, yeah. meeting a perilous death on a locomotive and going a flip a train or something. 30 pages, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you son of a bitch. I'll get it right this time. <laughs> I just won't pick that. I just won't go to page 29, okay? You're done. <laughs> I remember, like, the school library had a whole section for Choose Your Own yes. Adventure books. And, uh, I mean, these days we have, like, uh, or up, up until a little while ago, we had, like, those Telltale uh, video games. Yeah. Which were basically, like, Choose Your Own Adventure video games. Uh, yeah. Where you'd control Batman or the, the the Fables characters or Back to the Future. The Walking Dead. Yeah, The Walking Dead had uh, had a few. That's, yeah, very very interesting stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that that still lives on in some form or fashion in the, uh, in the current year. Um, now, back to Mr. Wright here. He's also managing editor on Marvel Universe Update. The Hercules graphic novel, Best of Marvel Comics Volume 2. Uh, he is, uh, I think, an assistant editor or part editor in Avengers, Solo Avengers, Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Fury slash Wolverine graphic novel. Oh, well, listen, if, if he's doing stuff with Wolverine or, you know, even mm-hmm. even Avengers, which is at in 88, it's just coming off. It's, you know, it's absolute and utter decimation. It's starting to roll into, you know, 90s Avengers. So he's mm-hmm. hitting at this at the right time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. At the building um, stages, so good. Sure. Now, his past freelance work, uh, Gregory Wright, was a colorist, or is a colorist. Uh, he was colorist on Spider-Man. We're going to assume okay. it was one of the Spider-Man books. He just says Spider-Man. Uh, X-Factor, Fantastic Four, Captain America, and What the? Oh, cool. Like, that's yeah. a lot of, of big-time books, man. For sure, for sure. Uh, his present wow. freelance work includes being the colorist on Marvel Age, Solo Avengers, and a, quote, weird night mask story. New universe, baby. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he didn't like that. He was glad Shooter went out and lost that uh, night mask <laughs> meal ticket right there. Yes. Now, <laughs> his hobbies include making up obnoxious and vulgar comments to spring on his victims, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as seeing every movie ever made. He enjoys cooking, music, and being very bad at Scrabble. Now, look, was it that hard to write a little, you know, an just, interesting just, blurb yeah. about yourself? Seriously. I mean, he's I mean, being self-depreciating, but he's also giving information. It's, yes, man. This sounds like a guy you'd like to hang out with. He cooks. He likes mm-hmm. music. He plays Scrabble. You know, he's just he's just having some fun. You know what I mean? That's good, right. Good-natured dude. You get a good vibe off him right away. For sure. Uh, continuing that good vibe, the work he's most proud of is something he hasn't done just yet. So he's See? being honest. Yeah, yeah he's that's, not, what, that's what I mean. Good. This isn't Terry Cavanaugh just stroking it. This is this is better. <laughs> now, his pet peeves include smokers, dopers, liars, cheaters, and racists. We don't know if it's in that order, but uh, maybe they're, maybe they're all uh, they're all his number one tied. For good for him. One. I hate I hate all those people too. Good Me for too. you, man. Me too. Very all good. in. All in. He was born in Cleveland. Never been there. Uh, nope, I neither. I think they have a they have a baseball team and, and stuff like that. Um. <laughs> His greatest accomplishment outside of comics is fooling most of the people all of the time. <laughs> that sounds a little bit familiar. Yeah, I think someone bit. used that previously, but anyway, I think so. I maybe, think maybe he's so. being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, hope maybe he's mocking Larry Hammer or something. Like that's what Larry <laughs> Hammer said, right? Screw that guy. Um, <laughs> his oddest habit is eating weird food. So, uh, mm. okay, now I, I 
I don't eat weird food. I don't eat things that have like melted cheese on it outside of like a pizza and Italian food. But I, I, I am very particular about food here. So hearing what Mr. Wright eats is kind of gross. Um, he mixes Pepsi and milk. What? I've seen people mix root beer and milk for different like shakes and things I like that. I can see but that, yeah. Pepsi yeah. and milk is weird. Yeah, maybe pe- if, if you want like a Pepsi float that like will yeah. eventually turn into Pepsi and milk, go for it. Yeah. Uh, he will also indulge in raw eggs. No, that's for assholes. That's are for the, uh, the <laughs> that's for people and their protein shakes, which I feel like bashing people in the teeth for that. But anyway, go ahead. Hey, hey, Look hey. at me. Look at me. I'm eating my protein shake with my raw eggs. Go shut your mouth. Hey, I, 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 I hey, hey, hey. <laughs> While on your yoga mat, eating <laughs> eating almonds and almond milk. I'm only kidding. I'm well, just making douche. jabs at Chris. I'm only, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Now, here's the, the coupe de gras here. <laughs> yes, here we go. Maloney, which is disgusting yep. on it in and of itself. No, uh, no. Blah. What are you talking about, Willis? Do you know? Okay, so <laughs> back in the day, Newfoundland, Canada. Here we go. That's where I'm from. So do you know that bologna was a staple of, of diets in Newfoundland back in the you know 50s, 60s, 40s, coming up through all that type of stuff, okay? So mm-hmm. you know what it's called here? You know what bologna is called here? Bologna? Newfie steak. <laughs> I kid you not. It is it is still consumed in, in grand quantities. We actually get the large uh, bologna batons covered in wax that we cut ourselves and everything. It is a real thing here that's still serious. So yeah, I understand that it's gross, but uh, it is a uh, it is a well known delicacy. Local delicacy. Here. Yes. Yep. So okay, go ahead. Tell tell them what we pair up with bologna. Oh yes, we will take we will take a slice of your garden variety bologna. <laughs> On it, we will spread cream cheese. Okay. Then we will spray some cheese in a can, so the aerosol cheese. Oh, jeez. We will slather that with mustard and horseradish mm, and I roll it up. up. Whoa. So they're basically making, what is that uh, What is that lunch meat that has all the different things in it? It's like pimento loaf or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has, yeah, loaf, the loaf one or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so it, yeah, that's it's absolutely, you know, disgusting, but that's basically yeah. what he's making there. Oof. Wow, creep. That looks. I'm. I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna put that to the <laughs> That'll test. That'll be the next taste test. I'm doing it. I'm doing <laughs> We're going it. From I'm gonna Smarties to to Gregory Wright's cold cuts. Oh. <laughs> now, solid. now, who would play Gregory Wright in a movie? Well, that would be Sean Penn. Looks like his character in this in this particular in caricature. Yeah. yeah. They were. Now, I don't see movies to begin with, but I especially don't see movies with Sean Penn in it, so I, I wouldn't see that. <laughs> um, why did he choose comics? Well, because Dan Chichester owed him some money or a pizza or something, and instead he had a job. <laughs> Fair enough. People in high school thought that Gregory Wright was psychotic, strange, and a time waster. Whoa, he is super self-deprecating, isn't he? He is. His favorite performers include Devo, George Collin, Robin Williams, Peter O'Toole, Marvin Gaye, James Brown, the Blue Oyster Cult, Claude Balling, Jean-Pierre Rampal and Andres Volenvider. Well, so. there, there's some names in there that are recognizable. I mean, sure. listen, Devo, Carlin, Williams, Peter O'Toole. I want to talk about Peter O'Toole for a second, and I yeah. don't know why. So, Supergirl the movie starred Peter O'Toole. Okay. And he was, and Mark and the gang covered that over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. They did a uh, an on-trial 
for this mm-hmm. particular thing. And uh, Peter O'Toole was basically staggeringly drunk when he did that entire movie. So <laughs> if you if you have a minute, just watch Peter O'Toole in drunken bliss stumble through a hideous movie of epic proportions in Supergirl from the 80s. So uh, check that out. That's my uh, that's my Radlish and Broadcasting uh, little drop here. The plug is go. here. There you go. You're welcome, Mark. I, I am a huge George Collin fan. I think that's that's a, that's a good call here. Uh, Robin yeah. Williams is great. Of course. Claude Balling, Jean-Pierre Rampal, and Andreas Vollenvider. We get a little deep <laughs> at the end there, right? A little deep. Uh, now, we usually joke around with the last good book someone didn't read, but this one, we're, I think we're going to give it to him. It's uh, Something Under the Bed is Drooling, which is a uh, collection of Calvin and Hobbes strips. So I believe that. I believe he actually read that. Um, now, the last good movie he saw was Above the Law, Stars and Bars, or Hope and Glory. He can't make up his mind. Uh, are you familiar with any of those? Uh, let me see. I am not. I don't. I haven't seen either any of them whatsoever. They, they all sound very eighties. Um, yeah. You have like it's like these three word <laughs> titles. Hope um, and glory above. Oh, wait a second. Above the law. I think that's a uh, Steven Seagal movie. Oh, OK. OK. Yes. I think I, I if that's the one that he's talking about here, I've definitely seen anything to do with Steven Seagal back in the day. I mean, he was uh, he was poor man's dollar store Arnold Schwarzenegger back mm-hmm. in the day. So for sure. Yeah. yeah so I, so I, think, I think we're actually getting some honest answers here. We have self-depreciation and yep. outside of those three weird names at the end of his uh, his favorite performers. Very relatable stuff. So he's not, he's not trying to be pretentious here, which I, I no. very much appreciate. Um, his biggest influences include Michael Curtis, D.W. Griffith, Bill Watterson, David Lynch, Vittorio oh. Statoro, Terry Jones, Don Martin, and a couple of folks who'd prefer to remain anonymous. I like that we got Don Martin's name there. Mad, uh, you know, Mad Magazine artist, if that's the guy we're talking about here. I think maybe, yeah. And uh, yeah. David Lynch, that, that's an awesome David, of one. Of course. For for yeah, sure. Terry Jones, too. I mean, mm-hmm. these are, this is, yeah, these are some good lists. You could tell that he's clearly a fan, that this is not just for, you know, having something to write on a page. They, these exactly. are people that he actually enjoys. So it's it's really cool. I like this. Good if insight. Only, if only he had some ties to Moratori, we could have him on the show and talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were once in a profile in Moratori when you yes. said that enough. <laughs> his uh his greatest unfulfilled ambition is to write a story that people remember he doesn't care if they loved it or hate it he just wants to be remembered honest great yep, absolutely. like it the worst part of his job i mean this dude is this dude is good vibes all the way across here he says his the worst part of his job is not being able to work with all of the talented writers and artists he'd like to ah, that's likeable listen guy. boy good answer mm-hmm. and he's not he's not upsetting anybody you know he's nope. uh He's still He's trying the to be a line. comedian. Yeah. Good line. Yeah. Now, when nobody's looking, he acts like a nice, sane fellow. So there you <laughs> go. And uh, what the people need to know is that he's not neurotic, though he borders on psychotic and schizophrenic with a touch of pyromania for fun. <laughs> well so, done. Not good. Yeah. Listen, good profile. Liked it. Mm-hmm, lots lots sure. of good detail. And it sounds like a dude you'd hang out for a day. Absolutely. Or at least or at least chat with for an hour. So good. I like it. I think so. Yeah, you'd belly up to the ball with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, we don't have the Mighty Marvel checklist, but instead we've got the hype box. Ah, look at Ooh. that. It's very similar to the Mighty Marvel checklist. <laughs> Only it includes just a handful of uh, of titles rather than all of them. So Strikeforce Moratory number 23. 
is not included in this hype box. Um, no. Right? Shocker. Now, the first book that is in here is Punisher War Journal number one. And yes. uh, in it, we're promised the full origin of the Punisher. Okay. Until they change or add to it. <laughs> this issue is promoted as having a cameo from Daredevil, which I'm not sure was such a big deal. Um, the thing that connects it to this book is that it was written by moratory editor Carl Potts. With a Carl, by Carl where have you gone, Carl? <laughs> yeah, maybe he was writing Punisher War Journal number one during the last two months, which is why Moratory 20 and 21 were uh, 21 and 22 were such garbage or <laughs> mostly garbage. So uh, it's Punisher War Journal number one. So Punisher had his solo series that came directly after the Zek for four issue limited. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which I recently bought and enjoy again. I mean, it's it's really, really solid. Uh, mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, the Punisher War Journal number one features art by Jim Lee. Now, I've always said that I despised Punisher and Wolverine solo series is because they just take the, you know, they almost take the characters out of the Marvel Universe and take the super heroism out of it for, you know, at least the first little while. Mm-hmm. And Punisher just became, you know, mob killer Fred. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, totally. I didn't like that, but all of a sudden now you got a new book and now Jim Lee's front and center, you know, blown it out of the water. So I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was semi pissed off with this, to be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, this is just like the the start of the expansion of the Punisher yeah. franchise. We'd have, uh, we've got War Journal. Well, we'd eventually have War Zone, Armory, the magazine. It's oh yes, Punisher was, uh, he was, he was, he loomed large. Uh, he, he was cash, uh, brother. He was cash. Yeah. The next book in the hype box is Submariner, the limited series number one. We're promised this, that secrets will be revealed for the first superhero of the Marvel Universe. Only if you have a comic shop in your area, because this is direct sales only. Um, now, this is uh, created by uh, some of our All-Star Squadron uh, friends here, Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. So that's that's pretty interesting. Hmm. I never read it. I, I think I it. have it. I think I have it, but I never read it. Uh, we got Avengers Annual number 17. Uh, oh. The Evolutionary War rolls on. Oh, not good. None Spectac- of these were good. <laughs> Spectacular Spider-Man Annual number 6. The Evolutionary War <laughs> rolls on. Oh, damn. Um, we got uh, Wolverine number 1. We didn't mention that a few moments ago. Uh, this is the ongoing series that you, yes, you, have been demanding. No. It, you know what? I was demanding a Wolverine, lim- uh, you know, his own solo series, but I didn't want so it to not become... Yeah. No, I didn't want the stories of Patch and Madripoor. Yeah. Jesus, I wanted Wolverine. You know, I wanted full full costume Wolverine battling supervillains. Instead, you get them hanging around CD docks in Madripoor and yep. going around with a black suit and covering his face with mesh. Boo! That's all <laughs> I have to say about that. No bueno. Uh, at you, least you know, you know that my Wolverine number one is damaged. You don't want to know why. Why? You spit on it? <laughs> no, no. This is one of those sad stories because it was worth some money first when it came out. It was one of the hot books. Sure. Okay. So anyway, Chris bought it off a spinner rack. I purchased it at a pharmacy. And as on the way home while riding my BMX to my house, and we'll get into BMXs a little bit later, <laughs> uh, it started to rain. And the only thing that I had protecting my Wolverine number one was a brown paper bag. Oh. And it, uh, I tried putting it under my coat, and uh, I managed to spare it from getting waterlogged, but it, the top corner of Wolverine number one is waterlogged. <sighs> Boo! But it's a memory of that, so there you go. Sure, sure, absolutely. Your, your collection has a story. Your, your collection yes, has sir. a journey attached to it, which is 
which is to me more valuable than than a dollar figure because uh, I, I agree that's not like a, it's not like I'm going to be selling stuff. Um, <laughs> now the last book in our hype box is Doctor Strange number one, and uh, this spins out of Strange Tales and it's uh, written by the co-creator of Strike Force Moratory, Peter B. Gillis, with art from a pre Doom Patrol Richard Case. Ooh, yeah. I you know what I actually own this issue. Mm-hmm. I don't don't know if I enjoyed a Doctor Strange book since Ditko. Yeah, it's it's just one of those characters I just can't get into. It's too weird if there's such a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember like when uh J Michael Straczynski took over Spider Man and you could tell he really wanted to write a Doctor Strange story because Doctor yeah. Strange just kept showing up, and it's like, dude, just just give him a Doctor Strange series so we don't have to look at him here, please, <laughs> please. Oh, and then I remember I during Civil War they had him join the Avengers. It's like Doctor Strange shouldn't be on the Avengers. Come on. Oh, uh, stupid. Yeah, but that is our bullpen bulletins, but we do have ads, and they suck. Um, oh, boy. They are all house ads. Uh, we've got uh, Semper Fi, which premieres in August. Uh, did you, you have buy, any memories? Did you, did you, did you like war books? Like, no. I bought the name. Like, I was a Sergeant Rock. I like Sergeant Rock from DC, and I also like GI Combat, you know, mm-hmm. with Haunted Tank and different things like that. Sure. So, I was into war books. I did like that. Semper Fi was not one of them, and neither was the Nam. So the Nam started out similar to a lot of books that we that we read. And you know, I'm I'm one of these people now. Only read the the Nam until issue such and such. No, I read <laughs> I read I read the entire run. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Nam here is at issue 24, which is almost as dip point. But Semper Fi came out as well, which baffled me because I didn't think the Nam was doing as well. But I think they're cashing in on some uh, GI Joe money here because GI Joe oh, was still yeah. flaming hot at the time. You know. I mean for so, sure but semper fi was weird because the nam was everywhere i could find an issue of the nam at you know my local grocery store then at the sure. pharmacy but semper fi like i would get an issue every five months if that made sense i don't even know how long <laughs> it lasts i think it was i think i own two issues total of semper fi that's it um, you know I, I i i've tried to get into war books and and occasionally i've been able to but they, they're never my go-to i know um I know. Yeah, I've got like a stack of them uh, that I'll that I'll try out. And, I, and the the thing with war books is, if you are a you know a bargain bin diver, you will find war books out the wazoo. I mean, absolutely, you'll find because they they just keep going back into the bins. Uh, this uh, you know Warlord Legion of Superheroes. I mean, you could fill many many quarter boxes with that, um, and, and from all eras. You know, uh, yes. you can get books from the 50s in a quarter bin if it's a war book because Absolutely. It, it just, you know, people don't want it. <laughs> yeah, well, it, listen, it doesn't have any consequences. There's no real first appearance. There's no reason yeah. to chase the books down. You know what I mean? It doesn't sure. have an impact. There's no storyline. There's no first appearance of the Venom costume. It's just, it's a war story. Yeah. And that's yeah, it. I think the only ones that, that kind of grabbed onto me were, and they're, they're almost like tangentially war, are uh, Blackhawks. I yeah, oh liked, yeah. Uh, oh, some yeah. of the Blackhawk stuff, but uh, other than that, yeah, not my thing. But uh, yeah, no, Semper no, Fi no. premieres in August. Uh, as you mentioned, the Nom number twenty-four Tet is also an ad here, and uh, our final ad is Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme, which comes bi-monthly from Marvel, and uh, the Dread Dormammu will come back in that. Yes. And uh, you know what? These ads suck. So uh, all of them individually. So we're going to go to another Marvel comic that's cover dated November 1988, a more popular one. We'll we'll grab an issue of X-Factor, and uh, we'll look at some other ads that maybe don't suck so much. Oh, no. 
There's one in particular I can't wait to talk Two in particular I can't wait to talk about here. Because there are there are advertisers who will actually pay you to put their books in their their ads in the next book. Where <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm sure whoever was writing the NAM was like, Oh, you're gonna put me in moratorium? Ugh. Um, <laughs> now our first one that we're gonna look at here is a G.I. Joe mail away action figure vehicle ad, which uh, yeah. includes the fridge. Yes. Yeah, so what do we have on here? So let's take a look at this ad here. So we have Bazooka. So I had mm-hmm. Bazooka, but I bought him off the rack. I bought him uh, yeah, straight up. Yeah, I didn't up. think he was a mail a mail away. Yeah. I didn't think either. And Major Blood, same thing. Of course. Yeah. I uh, had my his tank, but it was certainly not through to an exclusive offer. Now I did not have the LCV recon sled, even though okay. that was pretty cool. I, it I, does look I think, cool. Yeah, it's a cool item. And Bazooka was its driver. I did not know that either. Yeah. I. But is it sad to say I always wanted the fridge? I always I wanted the fridge, too. How come oh, he yeah. didn't appear in anything? So they brought him in. They almost brought in uh, Rambo. Yes. So they were on the verge of, because he was in one of the G.I. Joe Call of Order books and everything as uh, as Rambo. So that mm-hmm. would have been cool, too. But, uh, geez, they brought in Sergeant Slaughter, and he was a key part of G.I. Joe. So why not yep. the fridge? And his figure looked cool. It does. I, I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah, I wish I could track one of these things down. Uh and it, it like it's heartbreaking here looking at the mail away order. It's like three dollars and fifty cents for a figure. Oh man, it's like, nothing. Think, I used to love mail away orders. It always used to catch me, you know. So <laughs> I I haven't didn't get a chance to really take advantage of some, but one that I couldn't help but but get was uh, Return of the Jedi had one, and it the was Emperor? a mail. No, it was oh. Nia Numb. So exactly. Lando, Lando's co-pilot in the, oh, uh, wow. exactly. But that's why I wanted it. I was like, holy crap, they got the co-pilot for the Millennium Falcon, an actual <laughs> figure. And I was thinking, there's no way they're not going to have it, you know, that they're going to have an actual figure on the shelf with this guy. So I got it. He came in a little tiny cardboard box and, you know, he didn't come with a, like an action figure board or nothing. He mm-hmm. came wrapped in like bubble wrap. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. I did the mail away for the emperor. Uh, yeah. How did he for, come? How was, how was he packaged? In a box. Yeah. Just a little box. Yeah, nothing special, but uh, and I did a few of the G.I. Joe mailways, uh, too, like, because you could save the, uh, oh, what were they called? Flag points. <sighs> That's it, flag points. Yeah. And uh, you mail those in. I remember getting, um, I remember missing one um, because I was like 13, I think, and I got embarrassed, so I didn't order it because on the uh, mailaway order, it, uh, as you see here, it says, please print child's name. And I was like, I was 13, and I'm like, oh, man, that's embarrassing. <laughs> you know? Well, I'll tell you one that I had that was really cool. It was the Manta. Okay. So it uh, it was Stalker. He had a like a surfboard uh, rocket pack type of thing. It was called the Manta, the Marine <laughs> Assault Nautical Transport Device. So it was you could drive it on the water, and you could drive it in the air. And it was just an accessory, and it was damn cool. I loved nice. it. But uh, I don't know if it came with Stalker or not. It says G.I. Joe has to cross a large body of water and Cobra is still on the trail. But Stalker is carrying Manta in his backpack and he escapes. Pretend the Manta sails him across the water. The Manta comes equipped with torpedo gun, backpack, in its green camouflage sail. And it was. It was cool. It had a great, like an awesome plastic sail camouflaged. And at the same order, you could also get Duke before he came out on the uh, store shelves. Oh, wow. However... I was about to order Duke, but Duke showed up on my shelf before I could order him. So oh, there you go. There you go. I, but yeah. I didn't have to. I didn't have to get him in bubble wrap. So that was pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, the one that I was too embarrassed to order uh, was uh, was actually GI Joe. Uh, what's his face? Joe 
that guy. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. The, it was the first uh, three and three quarter figure oh, of him, cool. and awesome. uh, I kick myself for not getting it. Um, but as a grown up, uh, they did a few mailaways. Uh, they did one for. Uh, for was it Tommy Arakashi? Uh, Tommy yep. Arakashi, basically Storm Shadow without his mask. That was awesome. And uh, and also Agent Faces, who uh, who could tr- who could transform his face. He was basically a GI Joe version of Zartan. He could uh, oh. he could disguise himself as a as a Cobra operative. So those are a couple yeah. that I mailed away for. And that's uh that's one of those things like when you're a kid and like your entire day revolves around when the mailman's going to show up. Oh, so great. Even though you had to wait, you know, six for to the eight turn, weeks for, for the turn yeah. of the century to get anything to come in the mail at the time, especially if you lived in Canada and on an island, it was an I extra bet. bit of extra bit of flavor for that. But it always made it so, so much more rewarding when you actually yeah. got the item. Oh, my God. I tell you one that pissed me off and it was a mail away. Hmm. G.I. Joe Steel Brigade. So they were an army okay. of. Um, helmeted soldiers okay and you could buy them but the whole trick was when you sent away for them you could put your name on it so when when he came he was your figure okay he was you yeah yes well it was really me because in grade seven during my doodles when i always used to doodle in my sketchbook i i guarantee you that this is true i designed a steel brigade figure and (laughs) and and kid me told me that someone stole my exercise book and stole this idea because i have my character was named mudslinger and uh, he looked exactly like a steel brigade and when i saw this on the back of the book i was like somebody's pulling a prank that's mudslinger on the back of that book right there but i never did get him it's it's too bad i I do want a steel brigade figure so oh for sure i forgot all about that one yeah if anyone wants to send one to chris free of the show as a courtesy by all means i i do take gifts (laughs) (laughs) no our next ad is uh an m&m's ad you can uh you can (laughs) Oh boy! Um, what a pitch ad, man for this one. Yes. Uh, now we're, we'll share a picture of this uh, because um, we don't want to be current year or controversial, but uh, we think that the model for this uh, M&M's ad is the uh, the current sitting United States president, <laughs> a young Donald Trump. You um, could get uh, you could get with free proofs of purchase. You can get an M&M's painter's cap, which is yes. one of the, you know like a floppy hat. But, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like a sturdy, hard, regular collector's cap that you'd buy now. It was a little bit more lighter on the head, and, you know, it was designed that way. So it was white. The entire mm-hmm. cap was white, and it had like a stretch of uh, of of red going across, an M&M written in white on the top. So, you know, you could look like a real spaz going around with your <laughs> M&M painter's cap. But you could also get the M&M custom design shirt yes. with two purposes. With two proofs of purchases and 7.95, so painter's cap and custom shirt. I mean, this was this was great back then. And who, boy, does uh, the young Donald Trump look great modeling this M&M <laughs> He's material? Styling here, yeah. He, I love the I love the words going down his left sleeve here. Grab, Grab on to on. that M&M's feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, oh, and it, oh and it looks man. like he's holding a skateboard too. I don't think you can get that though. And he's very – he looks like he's half pissed off in this photo, like he doesn't want to wear a mask. I don't know. <laughs> the Eminem's painter's mask, yes. Uh, so he's got a skateboard tucked under his arm. I think that's what that is. Is that a skateboard? Either that or an iPad. So I'm, it's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be a skateboard. But, uh, oh, boy. Yeah, so uh, you can get the, the hat – 
for free with 10 proofs of purchase uh, from any singles or king size packages of uh, M&M's Plain or Peanut. Okay, that's... So there's that. Not bad. But for the shirt, you need to send $7.95 and two proofs of purchase. So, uh, yeah. Um, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. But we'll share this uh, this image. All hail the chief, brother. All hail the chief and M&M's. Yeah. I, we'll I knew M&M's were corrupt, and that's another reason to eat Smarties, kids. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and our, our final ad here. Oh, no. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. <sighs> We're going to dip into our own, the dings on our credit report here by looking at a Columbia House uh, music for a penny Jesus scam. Jesus Christ, they'll find me. They'll find me. <laughs> They're going to track us both down here. Say it again. There's a, oh wait, someone's at the door. <laughs> it's Columbia House, run! <laughs> they know They know I didn't pay for that Terrence Trent Darby CD. Uh, <laughs> but yes, you could get six CDs for a dollar or 12 cassettes or records for a cool oh. penny. So, you know, I've never done this before, but I can definitely speak about a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so this friend was really bad, Chris. I mean, he would take advantage of I, multiple, multiple. I think we had the same friend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was really bad. You have to agree, right? I mean, he, you know, he crossed borders oh, and everything. He was the worst. This deal. He was oh, the he worst. was the worst. But he would always, yeah, he would take advantage of the fact that you could order stuff through general delivery. Okay. <laughs> now, what that meant, if you didn't have a mailbox, you could send it straight to the um, straight to the actual sure. post office, yeah. and you could just go pick it up. So you didn't need a mailbox, and that also avoided Columbia House figuring out that it's being delivered to a different or a same address all the time. So, <laughs> you know, when you're when you get about you know 55 cassettes in, and you got basically everything that you need off that list, and you moved on to CDs, which you repeated again. Now in Canada, I don't know about you, but Columbia House was there was actual competition, so they had BMG yep. that came out, and they had the same thing as well. Now they had, I think it was, I think it was ten CDs for a dollar or something. I think it was a little bit more expensive. You had to pay a buck. Imagine, oh yeah. my god! But when I was in uh, university, my friend, uh, you know, took full advantage of this, and you know, uh, when you're living in a uh, in an apartment during university, your CD extents, your CD collection with three other dudes that you're living with is very expensive, very extensive. So, mm-hmm. you know, my friends had a very, very, very extensive CD collection, all through the benefit of the fine folks at Columbia House. Mm-hmm. Are they even still a thing anymore? I would say that they are bankrupt and then they... <laughs> They caught up and they bankrupt again because too many people took advantage of this ad. I mean, this was crazy. How did they ever, ever in the natural world police this? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, they they are still around. They are they are 65 years old. They were founded in 1955. Why? So yeah, Why? they are still around. I okay. So I, I'll I'll talk about some legit stuff I ordered through Columbia House. Okay. So I have an amazing V VHS collection, Columbia House exclusives. Oh, okay. I've got the entire series, including the the both miniseries and the TV show in clamshell VHS collection. Individual tapes. Wow. $19 a pop. Yikes. Think about that for a second. 
That is extensive. But uh, man, those things are those things were you couldn't get V. I mean, once the 80s came and went, you didn't know that the Internet was about to come around the corner and you could sure. download everything and you could find stuff and your streaming networks and the whole nine yards that you could get this stuff. So when you saw something like V, which was off the air for years, you took advantage of it. I took advantage of the Star Trek collections. They had the Columbia House Star Trek collection. I had mm. a few a uh, few tapes of that. And they came in these individual, like Columbia House would do, individual packaging. So they had their own cases that you couldn't yeah. get in stores. Star Trek ones were beautiful. They came in like a almost a book-sized, hardbound thing. And it had like unique, they were gray and they had unique painted covers. They were beautiful. And they contained two to three episodes of the original Star Trek show. And they were great. Same with V. I mean, hmm. just just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful products. But uh, how these people stayed in business, I don't know. But I did have one friend, and I don't mind calling him out. His name was Chris as well, so he's part of the <laughs> he's part of the trifecta of Chris's. <laughs> and man, he uh, he paid for every single tape. He paid. He completed his uh, his uh, his subscription like a trooper, multiple oh, times. And I was I would always go up to him, and I'm like, man, I know a friend, and they could get this for free. <laughs> he would not bend though he was unwavering in his morals there you go now the uh the it is worth noting that the parents of the columbia house music and dvd clubs announced on august 10th 2015 that it planned to sell its columbia house dvd club business (laughs) which sells recorded movies and tv series directly to customers through a bankruptcy auction so there was no something shit. there, but they are still around. They are still around. Uh, they they just uh, oh, went through bankruptcy. Funny. What a nutty thing. But uh, that there is Strike Force Moratory, issue number 23, cover to cover with some added fun at the end for uh, for flavor. So uh, that was awesome. I'm glad we oh, had this. Yeah, this was for so sure. Good. Absolutely. <laughs> but before we cut out of here, do you have any final thoughts uh, and or plugs? Oh boy, you know what? I I I I haven't brought my plug my plug tray with me today. So <laughs> you can find me over at uh, Chris. Oh, Chris is on Infinite Earth. What? That's not me. Uh, here I am trying that's to take advantage. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to take I'm trying to take advantage for your blogging. Why not? Hell with it. I wrote everything that's on Chris. Chris is actually a ghost writer, and I do two voices on this show. It's all Chris Bailey. Okay. I'm I'm literally just a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> now you can find me over on the Twitter at Charlton underscore Hero. You can find me over on WordPress at. Um, at the superhero satellite so just give that a quick google you could find that and for all the retro ramblings you could find us over on the radlich and broadcasting network over on the w2m network where myself and chris are the podsmen and uh, we do wrestling reviews over on tv party tonight so you could find our recent one on the uh the horror show that wwe Ooh. recently did which was a uh, a fun little uh a fun little journey through bad wrestling so and chris what do you got coming up you've got a ton of interesting podcast projects happening soon don't you I does, I does. Um, now, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. There's also, of course, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com, where there's a lot of words written about stuff. Um, but uh, for shows, uh, of course, we got Moratory Mondays every Monday. Um, I'm being, uh, I'm guesting on a few shows. Uh, we got the uh, Source Material podcast over at the Rattlers and Broadcasting uh, Network. Uh, I've been on that show the past couple of weeks, and we'll be on again this week. We're going to be discussing... 
something called Warrior Nun Ariarola or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Great no, nipple, by the way. <laughs> right? <laughs> Very perky. Um, but we'll be talking about that. Um, this uh, Wednesday, so a couple of days after this episode comes out, I will be on Wizards, the podcast guide to comics uh, episode. Oh, I was going to say issue sode, issue sode number sixteen, <laughs> uh, with our with our pal uh, Adam and uh, and his co-host there, and uh, had a good time recording that the other day. I'm looking forward to people hearing that. I hope I just didn't chew up the scenery too much because I <laughs> do tend to go on. You took um, over, didn't you? Admit it. I, I talk a lot. Yeah, I, I had to apologize a few times during the show. It's like, it's like, oh, we're going to skip this part. It's like, ah, sorry about that, guys. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> and I will also be on the uh, Batpod uh, in the not-too-distant future to discuss the uh, Venom storyline from uh, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. So, uh, and there may be more coming uh, down the pike uh, as we as we move forward here. Um, every Sunday, I'm still putting out some uh, classic uh, former Patreon-exclusive uh, content featuring me and Reggie. Uh, we've got two more. As of this recording, we have two more episodes of Comics Talk to uh, to upload, and then we will launch into the final five issue, uh, issues again. Oh, wait. Episodes of uh, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, which will feature some spicier content, some uh, some content you don't want to listen to with kids in the car. But uh, <laughs> but I, I will put a full disclaimer before every one of those episodes, just to give everyone like that last chance to to maybe put on some earbuds or or just shut the show off and delete it off your device just as quick as possible. But uh, I, I think that's uh that's probably about all we've got here. Um, looking forward to next week's uh. Moratory Monday. Uh, this is uh, reinvigorated, I think, both of us. This, uh, oh, yeah, this, this is fun Very stuff, strong man. issue. Uh, so we are looking forward to, to bringing this baby home. But uh, if that's all we've got, uh, I think all we've got to do is thank you for uh, hanging out with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, spread the word. Uh, we've had some people discover uh, Moratory Mondays, and uh, which tells us you know, that this is a niche show. And it's it's hard to get the word out about these shows. So if you know anyone who digs Moratory or maybe someone who dropped Moratory after Peter Gillis and uh, Brent Anderson left, let them know that there's a couple of goofballs talking about what came after. And uh, maybe <laughs> it's worth a retrial or a retry uh, as long as you skip issue 21. So uh, we thank you so, so much for hanging out and sticking with us and welcoming us back. And unless you've got anything else to say, um, I think we'll just say uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.